If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts start by saving 33 with prime on all body care and candles then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just 9.99 each with prime round out mom's menu with festive rosé irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market hello and welcome to the paddock in the pavilion with stephen wallace in each show, Stephen will interview someone connected to the world of horse racing or cricket. Hello, everyone. On today's podcast, I'm joined by Mick Newell, the Trent Rockets Operations Manager, to review this year's 100. Welcome back to the paddock and the pavilion, Mick. Dave, good to speak to you again. All good. We're going to talk about the final, a Rockets win. Uh, talk about the second season or second album, as some people keep calling it. What makes a winning team and the effect on county cricket and the future of the 100. But I want to start with the final. When Richard Gleeson stood at his mark at the beginning of the last over, last set, I must get that right, in the 100, how confident were you that Lewis Gregory could score the 11 runs? Uh, well, I wasn't confident at all, if I'm honest. I'd been watching or not watching the game from the back of the pavilion. I didn't, I didn't enjoy the final at all because having got there, you really want to win it. So there was a, a pressure that hadn't been there before. Um, and I actually came to the back of the dugouts just to shake hands, really, and say congratulations to them. But once he got that first ball away for six, I think that it swung massively our way. So, so fair play to Lewis, and obviously commiserations to Richard Gleeson who who suffered in that last uh, last five deliveries. I mean, bowling that last over, everyone said, "Oh, poor deliveries, blah blah blah," and everything. But it, it must be difficult when you're in those sort of pressure situations to get it right. Yeah, look, it is difficult. I think he set a field that looked as though it was designed for him to bowl wide Yorkers. And of course, he bowled far too straight the first ball. Um, and Lewis hit that unbelievably well uh, to, to hit a six that flat uh, over square leg where there, you know, there wasn't a deep square leg because that wasn't where the ball was meant to be delivered. So I think Richard would say, look, I had a plan. I just didn't deliver the plan. The next ball was a shin high full toss, which was probably the only bad ball he really bowled. Um, and Lewis got that one away. So that was game over at that point. But yeah, you look, I think at that stage of the game, you set a plan and you hope that you can deliver to it. That's what you practice for. And that's what you're preparing for. But um, you say game over, but even watching, if uh, if he'd have clean bowled Lewis in the, th- of the third ball, then Sam Cook coming in, what, what, what would that have meant? 
<laughs> I've never seen Sam Cook bat, so I've got no idea what that would have meant. Uh, I think it would it, it was a tie at that point, wasn't it? So I think they, they they have a super five or something they call it, like a super over. So uh, we would have been all out there again and still playing till about 11 o'clock at night. Is Lewis a, a really calm person in that sort of situation? Yeah, he's been a very calming influence throughout the whole competition. You know, I think he's a very skillful cricketer, both with bat and ball. Uh, he's a good leader because he is calm. He works well with the coach and the senior players. And, you know, we have a lot of depth in that Rockets team in terms of batting of his quality coming in at number eight, whereas at Somerset or whoever else he plays for, you know, he's, you could quite easily see him walking in at six. So I think that was one of the main factors in our team was that we still had batsmen or batters coming in at eight, nine, ten, who we were pretty confident could still help us win. Yeah, we forget he played for England, didn't he, against Pakistan? I think he was batting six in, in those interviews. Yeah. yeah, and if you look at the Somerset card, often he's at six or seven, probably higher in white ball cricket than red ball cricket. So he's got that ability to hit sixes. He didn't face many balls in the competition this year, but I can think of at least three sixes that either finish games or, or help set up wins. So he's got that ability, as most many modern players have, that they can walk to the crease and clear the ropes straight away. You know, they don't have to take time to have a look at things and often they don't have time. And at 45 for one off 40 balls, were you thinking of a comfortable victory? Yeah, yeah, I think so, although we knew it wasn't a fantastically good batting pitch. It was fairly clear from the, the way that originals struggled to clear the ropes and hit boundaries that it was a tough pitch to play. As a coach or as a director, whatever, or manager, you, you, you want to chase a score like that for two wickets down with 10, 10, 15 balls to spare and everyone says, what a boring game. But, you know, that wasn't to be. And the challenging pitch and the way we struggled made for a, a more exciting match. Any reason for that? You'd hope at a Lord's final you're going to get a, a good pitch. Yeah, I think it's difficult to, to to blame anybody. It's September, early September, a lot of cricket on that square. You know, he's, he's probably prepared that pitch with a few days work rather than a bit longer because he's had cricket right up until about four days earlier. So I, I don't blame anybody. I think it's a, it's a challenge for ground stuff across the whole county game at the moment to prepare the best possible pitches. So although it was a, a disappointing pitch to play on, as I say, it made for an exciting finish uh, to the game, to the tournament. Well, let's just talk about the actual tournament and the second season. What do you think to some people who say that the, the final put a gloss on some poor matches before the final? I think there was a shortage of close matches in the men's tournament. Definitely, there was. You know, we didn't have too many close matches. You know, although we chased 180 and we chased 160, I think, and things like that. Which, you know, you get into the last 10 balls. That's still a pretty good effort. So, I think there was some difficult matches in terms of excitement for the crowd. Um, I wouldn't say the standard was poor. I think the standard is very high. You've got top quality players playing in this tournament and enjoying it. Um, but yeah, there was definitely a dearth of close finishes, which is something that other tournaments seem to be seem to be able to create more easily than we are at the moment. And we did see the first score of over 200. We scored two scores, individual scores of 100. David Milan got a 98. Yeah, look, I think the standard of batting uh, in white ball cricket is unbelievable in this country at the moment. White, you know, young English players like Smead making 100, Jack's making 100, I think it was. And then other people like Hales and Milan. You know, Laurie Evans had a pretty good tournament. Phil Salt had a good tournament. Uh, Josh Butler while he was playing so I think the standard of batting is high and the challenge is there for bowlers and for bowling coaches around the world to how can we how can we prevent these runs go you know runs fl flowing away and 180 190 200 scores but at the same time I think people come to the 100 they want to see boundaries they want to see sixes and they want to see people throwing themselves in the, around in the field to try and stop that happening 
And I think we saw that, and you can see with the the actual uh, crowds. Crowds were about, I think, about the same as last year, weren't they? Women's crowds were were up uh, substantially. Yeah, we saw that people getting to the ground earlier than previously. So people might have wandered in after the women's game or right at the back end. People were definitely getting to the ground earlier and enjoying the skill set of the women's game. You know, that that's a great thing for the for the tournament. And I know, you know, our girls really enjoyed playing at Trent Bridge. They appreciate the crowd getting in early to watch that game. And I think that's a crucial part of this is that people come for a game and a half or ideally two games rather than just turning up for the men's match later on. Yeah, I was reading 28% uh, of the people there are, are women, uh, 22% yeah. children and 41% families. And all those figures yeah. are up from the first year. Yeah, look, the 100 is doing what it's set out to do. It's introducing people to cricket who wouldn't otherwise come. And there's no doubt about that. You know, I, I notice at Trent Bridge, a lot of people looking at the ground map when they arrive and I'm thinking, surely you know where you're sitting, but they don't because it's, it is the first time they've come or, or, or they're recent visitors. So it's definitely delivering on a new audience. Uh, the challenge will be to keep those people coming back. Do they enjoy what they see? Is the entertainment, is the food, is the drinks, is the view, is everything else right, as well as what they're seeing on the field? And I think certainly in Nottingham, we feel that we've delivered a pretty good tournament. Our men have won all four games at home, uh, which I think is 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 good. You know, they want to come and see a winning team and support a winning team as well. Well, they're certainly getting good value price-wise, aren't they, with the pricing of the tickets? Yeah, look, it's in everybody's interest to see the grounds full. It's not going to be a spectacle if the grounds aren't full or close to full. And I think the the, the ticket prices are are cheaper. Um, and I think going through where where we are at the moment as a country in terms of cost of living and things like that, if you want people to come out and spend their money, you've got to hit the price right. Uh, and I think the hundred has done that again. And and obviously through August when it's school holiday time, it's a great time to try and put some good entertainment on. What do you think to uh, the release of TV figures, which Apparently, are down twelve percent. Yeah, look, so anything that goes down is going to be a little bit disappointing. I'm sure that they'll look at that, uh, both Sky and the BBC, uh, as, to, as to why those figures might be. But I'd like to think that's not too big a drop. And again, if the, if the people in venue are coming, uh, then then that will look good on TV and it will make a spectacle. So I'm sure that people will tweak things a little bit to maybe get get the TV numbers up again. Um, but I think as long as this tournament attracts the best players or tries to attract the best players in the world. Uh, then hopefully it can still go on the up and up. Yeah, talking about the best players in the world, are there are there issues with players coming and going? Because like the London Spirit probably dropped off a lot because they lost Kieran Pollard and uh, Glenn Maxwell and, and not in the final. You know, Shamsi wasn't playing in the final. Yeah. Rockets, Rockets, Steve, don't call them knots. Um Yeah, uh, look, I think the problem is there isn't a window. There's only one tournament in the world that gets complete or pretty much complete exclusivity, and that's the IPL. So I think the challenge is always going to be that there are other tournaments to play, uh, either in, or other international matches to play. Uh, I mean, with regard to Shamsi, you know, he signed his contract for the CPL before he signed his contract for the 100. So that's where his priority was. Uh, Colin Munro, on the other hand, stayed in the 100 and went to the CPL late. So unless, and it's not going to happen, these tournaments get an exclusivity period where nothing else is going on, we are going to get this in and out period. But the fact that Maxwell came or Pollard came and Russell came, it shows that these guys want to be in this tournament. You caught me out there with the old knots and the, tr- and the rockets. <laughs> you there. called it knots, sir. Be careful. <laughs> especially, especially in a podcast about the 100. It was better, though, with the double headers. I thought single headers are not quite, don't quite work as well, do they? It was unavoidable. 
Yeah, I completely agree. I think the double header has become part of this tournament. You know, this wasn't the original intention, as we've spoken about before, maybe pre-COVID. The, the, the girls were meant to play their games at Derby and Leicester, and then there would be one double header in our case. But one of the unintended, you know, consequences of the COVID situation was all double headers all at the main grounds. And once you've started that, you can't go back, I don't believe. The girls have got used to playing at Trent Bridge now or Lords or the Oval, you know, some great experiences. Uh, but yeah, right, a double header makes a, a, a longer, better day and hopefully an enjoyable day. What are your overall thoughts of the 2022 Women's 100? There's still a spread of talent across the women's game. Uh, I think there were two very pretty dominant teams, if I'm honest, which was the Oval and the Southern Brave. So I think there needs to be, if we can, a sort of levelling up in that competition. Uh, I think the commitment and the performance determination of the girls is only going one way, which is up. Um, and, and then their expectations of people who work in the women's game will only get higher as well. So, you know, really pleased with the, the standard that was that I saw, particularly from a batting and a bowling perspective. Uh, and I think the things will only continue to improve as the women's game becomes more professional and girls get more opportunities to give full-time devotion to the game. And it certainly should all go well for us challenging the Australians in a, in a few years' time. Yeah, I think, you know, what's fascinating for me is the, the young, younger group of girls. So we had four girls in our squad who were under the age of 19. Now, they didn't play very much this year, but over time, hopefully that experience will build. And we need to develop a, a pool of girls that are going to come and take over from the Catherine Brunt and Nat Siver and Heather Knight and all that in the next few years. And the, again, the 100, I think, will speed up that development. They're spending four weeks with top quality coaches, with hopefully top quality facilities, and playing against some of the best cricketers in the world. And I think that's the challenge for the 100 is going to keep being, can we keep getting back or attracting in the first place the really elite players of the world game? Which we did this year with the Australian women playing. Yeah, there was a definite upgrade up, 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 uh, in overseas players this year. We were disappointed at the Rockets to lose Meg Lanning sort of 48, 72 hours out before the competition. But I'd like to hope that we can get her back in the future. Uh, and if she's seen this competition from Australia, which I'm sure she has, uh, hopefully it's a competition that she wants to be involved in and come and particularly if she comes back to Trent Rockets. And turning to what makes a winning team, and you should know, uh, at the Trent Rockets, is it runs in the power play? Death bowling, depth of batting, um, taking wickets. That's an obvious one, but... Uh... Uh, it's all of those. I mean, I think it's all of those, but I think it starts when you pick your, your squad, you pick your team in the in the draft process and the retention process. Uh, it, it starts with having a good coaching staff and a, and a, and a really good head coach in Andy Flower. Uh, and it starts with going into the competition with a set of beliefs and, uh, enjoy, and a, a real sense that you want to enjoy the month but you want to pull that team together very quickly. We did a couple of events in the first three or four days with the men's team in particular, where we, we got together and did some social things or did some team things that wanted to say, look, we, we know we're here for a short period of time, but let's make this the best experience it can be. And let's try and win it because it's always going to be more fun if you win it as well. Yeah, I heard Andy Flower talk about the atmosphere in the in the squad. Yeah. Yeah, look, we did a, you know, we, look, we did it. We got together on a Monday. We had a golf day and a quiz night on the Tuesday. On the Thursday, we had a guest speaker come. Well, he did it on Zoom from Australia, uh, you know, around a, 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 some experiences in his life that Andy thought would be relevant. And then we started on the Saturday. So we certainly made use of that four or five day lead in. And as I say, we didn't want it just to feel like another tournament where the players just rock up, take the money and go home. You know, we wanted to make it feel like a real experience. And being at Trent Bridge, 
and and you know all the people who work for Notts also make that experience for the players and make them welcome and make them feel like Nottingham is a city and a ground that they want to come back and play at again. And when you uh, select players for the draft, are you looking for lots of different left hand, right hand people who play spin well, people who play fast bowling well, and all that sort of thing? The left-handed batters thing is quite important. It's very important to Andy the way he likes to structure his team. So, you know, we added Colin Monroe to that this year. Uh, and then obviously it was very relevant when we played that we he tried to keep a left and a right-hander together at, almost at all stages. Very rarely would you see two right-handers together or two left. That's a big thing for Andy. So having Milan, Monroe, uh, Moores in that top sort of six or seven balanced off with Hales, Kohler, Cadmore, Patel, you know, that sort of thing. There was there was an opportunity generally to keep the left and the right together pretty much all the time. So would you change the batting order quite flexible in, in situations as well? Yeah, he very much would change that. You could see somebody like Colin Monroe probably batted anywhere from three to six, depending on who was getting out, who was in. Cola Cadmore got shifted around a little bit. Samet came up to number four on a couple of occasions, which, you know, because of his right-handed batting. Um, so, yeah, there was a few, there was a lot of changes. Andy was very flexible there. And as I say, Lewis, anywhere between five and eight from my recollection. So, yeah, Andy, Andy very keen on his left-right combination. Generally in this country, there's a short side on one side of the field. You know, there's a short boundary. So that's one of the reasons why he likes to do that. And these days, are you, are you pouring over data during the week of other teams and matchups, as they keep calling them? Yeah, so our bowling coach, as Moshe Zad from Derbyshire and our analyst, Kunal Manik from Notts, yeah, they spend a lot of time on that off the field, away from the game. And they would feed that information in through team meetings and into Andy and Lewis to decide what they wanted to share with the players, because you don't always share every bit of information that you have if you don't think it's relevant. But yes, there are at least two people who are working very hard behind the scenes on training days and non-training days to make sure that the players have got as much info as they think is relevant. And who do you think were the key players in the Trent Rockets team? Oh, well, look, I mean, Hales and Milan were outstanding pretty much all the way through. Milan, all the way through, you know, he had a brilliant tournament, which was great. Um, I think uh, Sam Cook had a very good tournament for for us. Da- Daniel Sams, Samit Patel, probably our leading three bowlers. I think the influence of Rashid Khan and Shamsi was terrific. Um, so, look, I think there's a whole group of people. Colin Monroe, great bloke, contributed, you know, in, in lots of ways. So, I think the whole thing came together really well. But also, I would add that the people who didn't play very much uh, and it's hard when you don't play in a tournament like that because you're used to playing for your county. That's how you qualify. So people like Luke Fletcher, Stephen Mullaney, Ben Mike, Mashant Langer didn't play a game, you know, but terrific guys, you know, really wanted to contribute, ran around with the bibs and the drinks and helped out off the field and practised very hard in, in between games just in case. So it's it, it's difficult to pick out. We had 18 to 19 players at one at one stage and they all you know, I'm sure they all feel they'd like to come back and play for us again, which I think is a great position to be in. That says a lot for the atmosphere that Andy must have created in the squad. I think it does. You know, I think Andy didn't disregard the guys who weren't playing. So on a on a day when the, the players who were playing had a day off, he would still take a training session for the non-players, if you like, so that just in case they were needed. So they felt like they were still getting practice and preparation and being treated like they were important members of the squad. And that's one of Andy's uh, big methods as well. And that's supported by his coaching staff, again, who over the course of 30, 34 days, whatever it was, you know, never really took a day off. And is Andy likely to come back again in 2023? Yeah, I hope so. I mean, we do it sort of a year at a time. Uh, we've obviously 
Uh, Stephen Fleming was our original choice as coach and then through COVID he's never been able to come but it's difficult to look past Andy when you've come third and first in the two years that you've run the tournament. Yeah, he's becoming a sort of franchise king after leading England to number one in the in the test arena. Yeah, he's having a very different lifestyle now. It's an interesting lifestyle that he's going around the world picking up teams in various competitions. He's got to remember, I think, which competition he's in a lot of the time because <laughs> there's different methods of picking players and drafts and auctions and player selections and lots of different kit. Uh, but look, he's had a, a very successful coaching career international level and I think he's taken to this world uh, really, really well. And I think he enjoys it and enjoys the travel and the challenge of working with different players and different people. Yeah, he'll be getting like me and getting the teams mixed up, won't he? So all these different teams. He's, uh... yeah, I, even during the 100, he's still doing promotional videos and selection meetings for other tournaments. So, yes, you're right. He's got to keep his head switched on as to who he's working for. Um, but, uh, you know, he's working five, six tournaments around the world and being very successful. Well, let's just talk briefly about the effect on the county game. How do you react to the some of the vitriol you get about the effect that the 100 has on the county game in the UK? Uh, how do I react to it? I understand people on the outside of the 100 not liking it, not enjoying it, not wanting to denigrate it. But what I think that should be understood is that, you know, a new form of tournament was needed uh, without the deal for the TV companies that came in on the back of the 100 plus international cricket. It's keeping the county game alive. And it's not instead of four-day cricket, it's allowing four-day cricket to still survive and be played. So I don't... Um, I understand the debate to be had and I'll stand on the side of the importance of the 100, you know, as a cricketing tool and as a marketing tool to keep county cricket relevant in this country. So you don't feel it's having an adverse effect on the, on the county game? Well, financially, it's saving the county game. So, <laughs> And the, the effect on competitions like the Royal London Club, is it giving more opportunities to younger players? Is that your sort of view of that? Yeah, look, we, we as a county cricket club like the Royal London Cup behind the 100. It's given us opportunities to play players in first-team cricket that wouldn't have happened. So the fact that we qualify for the quarter-final this year, lost to Lancashire, I'm really proud of those young lads, what they did, and the coaching staff, how, how well they've done. There's no doubt that young players now, they want to play white ball cricket. And if we don't expose them to some white ball cricket, if they can't get in the T20 team at their county, they're really going to want to play in the 50 over comp as a step through to get into T20 cricket because they see the 100, they see the IPL, they see lots of tournaments around the world. And if we don't start giving them white ball cricket to play, I think they're going to really struggle to maintain their interest in the game. They still want to play red ball cricket, but they want the exposure, the financial benefits and the high, big crowds and high profile that white ball cricket is going to bring. And as a stalwart of the county championship, you still think that, you know, is has got a, a strong future. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, I, you know, I think when people say that we're trying to diminish or potentially diminish the county championship by playing a bit less cricket, that's not diminishing it. It's still the number one tournament for me. You know, it's still brought the biggest highs and the, and the lowest lows of my coaching career. So we still, as a county cricket club, see being in Division 1 and winning the county championship as the way we are judged. So if we feel that we should play a little bit less cricket. That's not to say that we're saying the county championship is not important. We're saying it's important. Let's make the pitches the best they can be. Let's have the players in the best physical state they can be. And let's keep that game, that tournament at the pinnacle of the game. 
But for every day of county championship cricket, we still need other ways of generating money and keeping interest in the game because this is the way, I believe, short-form cricket, blast or 100, to get new people into cricket. Well, that's seen by the you know the development of more families hmm. going to the going to the hundred and the players. Do the players really like playing in the hundred? I think you'd struggle to find anybody that's in the hundred, whether that's a player or a coach, who didn't enjoy the past four and a half weeks. You know, maybe maybe if your team didn't do very well, maybe different. But I think it's great fun. It's great experience. The men and women thing, getting together, playing as a as a club, if you like, as two teams, I think is fantastic. A lot of players, they get, you know, it's close to international cricket in the way they get treated, the way they get looked after, the hotels they're staying in, the big bus things that are going around the country, the the, the, the money they're getting paid, the way they're getting treated is close to international cricket. So I'd be surprised if you found many people from within the 100 that didn't enjoy that past four weeks, both men's and women's game. And overall, you think uh, 2022 for the 100 has been a, a positive, positive season? It's been a very positive season in Nottingham. I, th- I, you know, I looked at the way we've done it as a club and as a ground. We've really enjoyed it. I think the fact that some, somebody like London Spirit, who struggled last year, have come good, is probably likely to be that sort of uh, up and down for a lot of teams. So that's the challenge for us: is can we stay in the top three again next year? Uh, but yeah, I, I, I don't see how filling cricket grounds with people can be a bad thing. And are you hoping to be involved again in 2023? <laughs> oh, well, I hope so. You know, as long as I'm, at, uh, I mean, there is a direct link to Knotts, and you know, you mentioned it earlier about Knotts, and it, it, there is a direct link that the director of cricket at Knotts is kind of seen at the moment as the general manager or the operations manager. So, as long as I've got one job, I should keep the other one. But uh, you know, I'd like to do it again. I think it's brilliant fun, um, and as I say, it's taught me new skills and given me a new awareness, particularly of the women's game of cricket as well. Well, thank you very much, Mick, for joining me again on the Paddock and Pavilion, talking about the. The 100 for 2022. Always a pleasure, Stephen. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Paddock and the Pavilion. You can download the show on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, SoundCloud, Stitcher and Spotify. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at The Pad and Pav. Don't forget, if you like the show, please do leave us a rating and review. Sports Social Podcast Network.